After 148 days of striking, the WGA has signed a deal with the AMPTP. This includes regulations and provisions for artificial intelligence, pay residuals, streaming data, and so much more. Let's break down this historic contract as well as what it means going forward and will SAG follow suit. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to another episode of Raiders of the Lost podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. And in this episode, we're going to break down the WGA strike. They just signed a deal with the AMPTP, and they have a three-year contract. We're going to go through all of the perks that writers now get. They're getting more payment. They're getting more control. They're getting more freedom and longevity with their contracts, as well as ease of mind with paid work. This is a huge win for the WGA, and SAG is probably going to follow suit next, but let's break down everything that this contract entails, Jim. And it's only been about a week, and this was after 148 days of the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, being on strike. So thank goodness this strike has ended. Hopefully SAG can follow suit. You know, a lot of these strikes, they end up being contagious because there are multiple strikes going on in the in the United States as well as in Hollywood, not just in the entertainment world. But I mean, SAG is the next thing that's going to happen, hopefully, because negotiations start back up on Monday, October 2nd today. So SAG, AFTRA, and the AMPTP are starting their negotiations again today. So hopefully this will be a little bit of a contagion to get the ball rolling. Then SAG can get it worked out because the writer's room, since the strike is over now, they are getting back to work as soon as possible. Studios and sound stages are being booked up in the hopes that the SAG, AFTRA, and AMPTP deal can get made very soon as well. And this is why strikes are so important. Other, Most other countries, especially European countries, striking is very common with workforces in many industries. But in America, it's always been kind of a slow thing. Americans are less likely to strike, and that's because corporate culture has such a grip on the workforce. So striking is so important. And the entertainment industry has gone through so much change this past six months. With the start of the WGA strike, you get the visual effects artists want to strike. Video game artists are striking. So it's it, like you said, it's a contagion. And it inspires other facets of the industry to start striking. And it encourages people, it encourages the little person to be like, we can stand up against the big brother. We can stand up against the big corporation. Big brother, 1984 big brother. <laughs> over here. Because <laughs> otherwise you will find yourself in an Orwellian situation if corporations get complete control over everything. So it's important to show the higher ups that the, the workforce does have a lot of strength when they unionize, when they work together. And they can demand things, and it's important to remember that because we've seen with the entertainment industry, especially with visual effects artists, especially from what I've been reading with the video game industry, the workforce has just been really been taken advantage of, and they've been given very little power or control over their salaries and their livelihoods and their working hours. So it's important to strike because it sets the stage for other facets of the industry and other people to be like, we can strike too. And we can take some power back from the big guys. And there's so much to talk about. This deal obviously started in September 25th, 2023. That's the day of the the date of the deal going through and agreement being made. And it goes all the way to May 1st, 2026. So it's about a three-year deal. We're going to be talking about streaming data, the revelations that studios are going to have to make to the WJ in terms of how they'll be paying residuals, updates on residuals and payments for writers. We'll be talking about writers' rooms, minimum staff requirements, and what writers will be making per episode. 
and per seasons of television. We'll be talking about artificial intelligence and what studios can and cannot do when it comes to AI, AI as well as what writers can do in terms of AIs using it as a tool. Now let's go over what this deal entails. So the term is an agreement from September 25th, 2023 through May 1st, 2026. So it's slightly less than three years. So when May comes around in 2026, they will be re renegotiating or trying to renegotiate. So the first part of the deal is that Dune 2 will be coming out. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sag still strikes James me, James got excited for a sec. No, I would know. <laughs> I would know. Denis would have texted me. <laughs> so the first part of the deal will, will be an increase in minimums. So most NBA minimums will increase by 5% on ratification of the contract, 4% in May of 2024, 3.5% on May 2025. Some of these minimum rates will increase less, mostly by 3% each year. So it's these expectations are a result of the patterns established in the industry. The next part will be an increased health and pension contribution rate. So the health fund contribution on reportable earnings will increase 0.5% in the second year of the agreement from 11.5% to 12%. The guild has also the right to divert an additional 0.5% in each of the second and third years of the contract from various minimum increases to either the health fund or the pension plan. Now, those increased wages, they aren't that far off from what the WGA proposed back in May 2023 when they started striking. So they asked the AMPTP for a 6 to 5 percent increase at the time the amptp offered four to three at the time so now they're getting pretty much somewhere in the middle closer to what they proposed back in may for the percent increase for minimum wages and healthcare and pension is very important because in a way writers are gig workers and they're not part of a company that will provide health care and they're, they don't work for the government which will automatically throw a pension so it's important for them to have these kinds of coverages for the long term because they get they'll get paid up front a lot of money, but in the long term they're not getting anything. So they're they need the security, especially with the pension, for when they get older and they stop working. So that's a, a problem with gig working is when you're in your seventies and eighties, maybe you can't work anymore. Who's you're not gonna be able to get these jobs that pay you pretty well for six months of work. So it's important to have these long-term investments for a worker. Absolutely, absolutely. Next, we have an increase of health and pension contribution for writing teams. So each writer on a writing team employed for a script will receive pension and health contributions up to the relevant cap as though they were a single writer rather than splitting the applicable cap. So they used to share it. Now they're all getting individual payments for pension and health. In addition, when a writing team is employed on a series, the contribution for each writer on the team will be made on the full weekly minimum instead of one half of the weekly minimum. So that's great stuff. But also something that I'm really excited to talk about is the next section, oh, which yeah. is artificial intelligence. And if you're wondering, we're getting this information from the WGA contract 2023.org official website for the WGA in terms of all their updates. And again, this is all applying to the WGA. This is not applying to SAG. This is the Writers Guild. And artificial intelligence, which was a huge cause of concern for both the WGA and SAG. Obviously, with SAG, we know how they want to basically digitize people and use them as background actors and just start to create artificial movies and artificial background actors. And it's pretty wild. It's pretty insane. So for artificial intelligence, there are quite a few stipulations that have been established 
for regulations for the use of artificial intelligence on MBA covered projects in the following ways. So this is a big one because, you know, we're all concerned that AI is being used to write movies and TV series and scripts, which I'm sure it is. <laughs> We've heard some insider stuff that, oh, it's already being done in terms of like writing the bones of a story, writing the bones of a season of TV and then having human writers finish out the soul. Actually writing the create, show Create bones. the soul. <laughs> create the soul. But even then, it's still the uncanny valley. It's like, did a program write this? Because you can only do so much. <laughs> so the first stipulation regulation, AI cannot write or rewrite literary material, and AI-generated material will not be considered source material under the MBA, meaning that AI-generated material can't be used to undermine a writer's credits or separated rights. I think that's pretty important. That's really important. Because what do you give? Yeah. Uh, written by ChatGPT. <laughs> co-written <laughs> as a co-writing screenplay. Credit on the credits. The next established regulation. A writer can choose to use AI when performing writing services if the company consents and provided that the writer follows applicable company policies. But the company can't require the can't require the writer to use AI software when performing writing services. So it's pretty interesting that writers can use AI if they get consent from the company mm -hmm. and if they follow the applicable company policies for each company, but they can't be forced to use AI software if a specific studio wants them to use it for writing services. Gotcha. So basically AI is going to be used <laughs> for by both ends, it sounds like. It sounds In like certain capacities, it yeah. It sounds like some writers are going to use it to help their writing maybe come up with ideas or structure and then it seems like some studios are going to ask you to use it and it, i mean it could help speed up the writing process for some people who prefer to do that so it's going to be as a long tool. as the choices yeah it's a it's tool. like the thing with ai is it's not going to go away it's not going to be eliminated from the industry or any industry it's just going to be used more and more it just depends on if you can regulate it enough to use it only as a tool regulation versus, is so important it's really yeah. important and I, I can't wait to see or i'm, I'm scared to see what's going to happen when the next when this contract's up in 2026, because AI is going to evolve so much quicker than it has the last 10 years. The next robots three. will be involved in the contract. <laughs> no robots can be used <laughs> in the production. <laughs> can I get a writing credit? <laughs> <laughs> the next regulation for artificial intelligence. The company must disclose to the writer if any materials given to the writer have been generated by AI or incorporate AI-generated material. Now, this is really interesting. And the wording specific, again, the company must disclose to the writer if any materials given to the writer have been generated by AI or incorporate AI-generated material. You notice that they don't have to say to the public whether AI has been used for specific materials. So it sounds like mm -hmm. companies can and studios can use AI to generate maybe a story structure or some characters, and they will have to disclose to the writer whether or not AI was used to create whatever they've come up with. So materials could be, they could be just not really a story, but like notes and ideas and possible story trajectories, plot points, could things be anything, like that. Yeah. yeah, so. So they have to tell the writer. Says, it says it can't write literary material, but this is just material. So it could be more vague and a more preliminary part of a project. Yes, so, but they can, they tell the writer, but guess what? I guarantee that writers will be under NDAs and they can't speak about whether things have been generated by AI. True, yeah. I guarantee that's mm -hmm. part of this contract if you get Because, I mean, the, the studios details. do want to get some things, and they want some victories. Oh, we'll be too. talking about yeah. some NDAs that the studios are, will have incorporated into this contract a little uh -huh. bit, specifically with uh, the streaming data. Now, another regulation for AI. The WGA reserves the right to assert that exploitation of writer's material to train AI 
is prohibited by NBA or the other law or other law. So I really like that. This is an important one because if you train an AI program with the writing of thousands of previous writers, like human writers, it doesn't make, then technically they need to be credited and they need to be paid for the service because they're being involved in the production of this program's intelligence. And so the, it's basically, that AI program would basically be drawing from that source. And so the source needs to be credited and paid its, its dues. So it makes sense. And I think this is an important one. Uh, it's the last, it's the last bullet point on this section, but I think I do think it's really important. And I think it's really important because obviously they want this to work. Both sides want this deal to work and to survive the expiration date of the contract in May 2026. They wanted to be able to, all right, let's lock this up again real quick. When they go into negotiations for the next contract, they don't want the wording to backfire and something like that, the studios could have been taking advantage of the writer's work in terms of training the AI. And but making now, the AI so good. Yeah. That was, that's another problem, to make it such an incredible writing tool with the use of thousands and thousands of screenplays to become like the ultimate screenwriter. Exactly. So I think it's important for both sides to not miss, leave anything out that could backfire in 2026 and lead to another stoppage and work stoppage. Because now that the work stoppage is over for writers... They're getting back into writing ASAP. Those writers' rooms are starting back up. The Last of Us, they're going back into writing. Yellow Jackets, they're going back into writing. HBO's like, get some more episodes up! <laughs> <laughs> what is Joel up to? And I guarantee they really want SAG to strike a deal very soon. Oh, yeah. They really do. It'll only help the industry. All right, next up, we have improved terms for screenwriter employment. So there's a guaranteed second step. The second step is required whenever a writer is hired to to write a first draft of a screenplay. They get 200% of the minimum payment or less, including the original and non-original screenplays. The requirement also applies to spec script purchases. There's also an accelerated payment structure for flat deals. So screenwriters hired on a flat deal basis for 200% of minimum or less must be paid 50% of their fee on commencement. Then if the writer has not delivered within six weeks of the commencement, 25% of the fee is payable upon invoice. The final 25% is due on delivery of the step. Okay. So then they're getting a lot more upfront money when they sign the deal. Which is important, especially with how shows are just getting canceled after one season mm -hmm. these days. It's really important to get that that you know consistent cash. Yeah, for sure. You got to pay your bills. And then for streaming features, when a feature-length project is made for streaming with a budget of $30 million or more, the minimum initial compensation for a story and teleplay is $100,000. This is an increase of 18% from the current rate and a 26% increase in the residual base. Combined with the foreign residual improvements described below, this results in a three-year residual of $216,000 for projects on the largest services, a 49% increase from the 144,000 under the 2020 MBA. So it's a huge win for screenwriters who are selling a script to a streaming. And this is gonna be huge, especially because most feature length projects that are made for streaming, so streamer originals, a Netflix original, a Hulu original, Amazon original, pretty much a lot of them have a $30 million minimum budget. And a lot of them get, are getting made, and we all know the streamers have just made a boatload of money the last five years. These studios have been caking. They're very successful, obviously. So 
getting a 26% increase in the residual base is huge for screenwriters. But yeah, that minimum increase of 18% from the current rate, then going up to 49% under the original 2020 NBA. This is all going to relate to, we'll talk about in a little bit, residuals and bonuses that screenwriters will get depending on what percentage of subscribers from a streamer are watching the show or movie. They'll get even more pay increases and bonuses depending on that, which is really important, important that's, stuff. That's super important. So how about we next talk about improved terms in high-budget subscription video on demand. So this is I HBS like your reading voice. Thank you so it's much. So I'm soothing. trying to be calming and <laughs> trying to take all this information because, sorry, this is a lot of just information, contract information. We hope you're tuning in and listening and maintaining uh, your attention. <laughs> attention. <laughs> We're doing our best, but there's a lot of details that we really just want you all to know because I know everyone's curious. You all want the strikes to end as much as we do, and we got one done, but let's go over some more of this new contract. So improved terms for high-budget subscription video on demand. What a mouthful. HBS VOD. <laughs> Increased foreign streaming residuals. Now, this is an important one. Foreign streaming residuals will now be based on the streaming service's number of foreign subscribers for services available globally, amounting to a 76% increase, including a 2.5% base increase to the foreign residual for the services with the largest global subscriber bases over three years. For instance, Netflix's three-year foreign residual will increase from the current $18,000 for one episode to $32,000. That's really big news because foreign cinema, foreign television, international television, it's becoming popular. It's booming around the world. I mean, Squid Game showed you that. A show from South Korea could be the most popular thing on the planet in Western civilization in America for an entire year. And so foreign TV is very popular on Netflix. There are They have a lot of options for foreign television. And foreign movies. Yeah. And a lot of these directors who've made movies like great South Korean or Japanese, Chinese filmmakers, they're going to get paid better based off their movies, especially based off streaming residuals, which a lot of them, they sign like a one-time deal, one-time payment, and then they don't get money. Like Park Chan-wook's not getting paid for Old Boy, which you can't even access in America right now. But Yeah, this hasn't been in America for years. You can find it on specific <laughs> sites. <laughs> Next up, we have viewership-based streaming bonus. Viewership-based streaming bonus. The Guild negotiated a new residual based on viewership made for HBS VOD series and films that are viewed by 20% or more of the service's domestic subscribers in the first 90 days of release or in the first 90 days of any subsequent exhibition year get a bonus equal to 50% of the fixed domestic and foreign residual with views calculated as hours streamed domestically of the season or film divided by runtime. So this is like if it's a hit program, a hit movie or hit TV show, they get a bonus. So this, yeah, this is one of those bonuses I was talking about. If So basically, if you have a show that you wrote for or, or that you made basically and it's playing on a platform, if 20% of the domestic subscribers of that service, so let's say 20% of Netflix's subscribers viewed that show in the first 90 days of its release, then you'll get 50% bonus of the domestic and foreign residual. So that's, that's pretty nice. awesome because, you know, like a show like Squid Game, they probably could have made a lot more money, the creators of that show, if they had this deal going forward. This also entices the producers and writers to make the best possible shows and movies they can. So, yeah, now let's getting, get more. They're getting a reward. And we're going to get a little more specific into the bonuses. So, for instance, projects 
pertaining to the situation and written under the new MBA under the new largest streaming services would receive a bonus of $9,000 for a half hour episode, $16,000 for one hour episode, or $40,000 for a streaming feature with that budget over $30 million. That's if you get 20% of the subscribers of a platform, of a streaming service to tune into your show or movie. Everyone's like, can I get a writing job on Stranger Things? <laughs> <laughs> now this structure will take effect for projects released on or after January 1st, 2024. So it's, if it's already been made, this doesn't affect it. But new projects starting that are getting made in January 2024 will be affected by this new streaming bonus, which is excellent. Now, the one that I'm most interested in, and they, the studios on this next one, they definitely they knew what they were doing. So... Streaming data transparency. We've talked so many times about streaming data, how when it comes to information that's released, who are the ones releasing the data? The streaming platforms themselves. There's really no way to know the real viewership because every streaming platform does it differently. I remember Netflix used to say two minutes streamed on a show counts as a view, but I mean, what if they tune on after that? And then things like some streaming platforms use hours, of a show divided by viewers or something like that. These crazy loopholes to get the best sounding viewership for your original show or your show on your streaming platform. And no one really knew this true, the true data because it's the studios that were giving us the data. And they don't want us to know that not a ton of people are watching their shows. They didn't want us to know until recently that 37% of people who started Rings of Power didn't finish it. I'm sure. I guarantee it was less than that. That's a great point because you think it, just showing the sheer number of hours or views isn't showing the value of the show because Rings of Power, it was in the top of the charts every time an episode came out, but the value of the show wasn't that strong if only a third of the viewership actually watched the entire thing. So that shows that the numbers can be very misleading for how popular a show is because if only a third of your viewers finish your show, that's a, that in my case, that's a failure. Like You want... If, you, if people think you're the big, biggest show on television, I would imagine that a higher percentage of people are watching. Like, I would love to see what's the percentage of people who finish Stranger Things. Like, that's going to be like 90% it's at It's got to be, at least. So that shows that Stranger Things is an example of being a much more valuable show than Rings of Power. And this re relates to residuals. You know, forever on television, before streamers, we knew the hard numbers. We knew the, the, the viewership numbers. You know, that's how... Writers and actors were getting paid their residuals based on viewership. That's how, you know, these channels were having advertisers based off their viewership. You are, they're charging this much for Colgate to advertise on NYPD Blue. Yeah, you know that's how I mean? they based uh, advertising numbers. So they knew yeah. the hard numbers. And that's how advertisers would be like, okay, they're getting a million views, a million watches per episode. So we'll, we'll offer them. 10,000 for a 20 second ad spot. And then our residuals for writers, because we got a million views on the show, that it'll add out to this per episode. Mm -hmm. However, I know there are statistics that are released. Do you think they're real? Do you think they're accurate? I don't think at, at all. I would, I would say it's real if it's an outside party doing the numbers. But there are outside parties yeah. that are getting the information, but at the same time, they have to go to the studios to True. get the information. They have to get it through Prime. They have they to, have go to, to get Netflix. it Netflix. Hey, yeah. Netflix, how many people are watching your show? Oh. A lot. Don't worry about that. <laughs> big time. Big big numbers. Big, big numbers guy. We had a billion minutes watched on that so show. So many. What does that what does that mean? Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. 
<laughs> so the streaming data transparency, there is a new regulation here. So the companies and studios agree to provide the WGA subject to confidentiality agreements. The total number of hours streamed both domestically and internationally of self-produced high-budget streaming programs. For example, you know, Netflix original shows, Netflix original movies, Hulu original movies, etc. The Guild may share that information with membership in aggregated form. So basically what this means is the studios and streamers, they have to provide the WGA with the numbers of hours streamed. I'm not sure even if they have to put views. They're just putting hours streamed. However... The WGA is under NDA, confidentiality agreements, where they cannot share this information with the public. So they both kind of got what they wanted. Yeah. So the streamers had to give up the data or some of the data, and the WGA gets to get that data. However, we don't get to see it. <laughs> and this, this shows that the the big streamers, they still don't they don't want the public to know the real numbers. They don't. That's wild. That They, they still don't want to give up all their cards, so they're keeping that close to the chest. They'll probably hold on to that as long as they can. But Forever, yeah. It's important that the Writers Guild knows these numbers so that they can understand what are they getting ripped off for, are they getting paid fairly. So And how to yeah. how to make residuals per show. Exactly. I mean, how are we yeah. supposed to pay people? So I, I mean, I don't mind not knowing and I, I'm just happy that at least the WGA knows the numbers. Yeah, the thing with not knowing, I would love to know the real numbers, but at the end of the day, I feel like we can all gauge. What shows are actually you getting can gauge watched. based on conversations on pop in online? Yeah, and, and with what, your what friends people are talking and about. You can gauge what shows are actually being watched, what shows are popular. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, Stranger Things. That completion rate's got to be in the nineties. Who's not finishing Stranger Things? Yeah, who doesn't finish? Like that? seriously, <laughs> like, <laughs> who starts Stranger Things and doesn't fucking that's, finish that's it? You're one fucking of the most crazy. Entertaining and, and engaging shows I've ever seen in my life. I adore that show. That's yeah. why when that show drops. Half the world is just watching it until all ten episodes. No one, everyone takes school off. Everyone takes work off. They, they should just make a holiday. The they should make Stranger Things a holiday the day it comes out. <laughs> it will one day. It's not like anyone's even working that day. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, I think it's important for the, that the writers know the numbers now, and I don't mind not knowing the numbers. I'm fine with it. And then our final bits in regulation for high budget subscription video on demand again HBSVOD, which are the original streaming programs and movies and TV shows. Premium for pilots and backup scripts. So there's a 100%, 150% pilot premium and 115% backup script premium now apply to programs made for these streamers for original shows. So when someone makes a pilot or makes a backup script for that pilot, then they have a higher premium, which is great. More money. More money. All right, next up we have the minimum turns for advertising supported streaming, AVOD. High-budget programs made for ad-supported streaming services, including Fast, get the same initial compensation terms as the equivalent programs made for subscription streaming services, including network primetime script fees for the highest-budget series, as well as protections like, slice, like span, including the basic cable span cap of 375000 and premium rates for pilots and backup scripts. These programs will also receive... A 2% residual for reuse on the AVOD service. So this is kind of relating to just how on television you get residual payments based on advertising revenue from commercials. So apparently it seems like they weren't really getting these same residual numbers on like streaming apps that use advertising commercials. So also like if you're like if you're not on the if you're still in the ad free version of Hulu, it seems like writers weren't getting the 
proper residuals for the advertisements you'd see on Hulu. Oh, that's total BS. Yeah, so that's what it seems like. Well, that's good news. How about we take a, a moment? We'll take a little break. And oh, just read it. Yeah, we'll let's to the intermission. You know, I'm sure everyone needs a little. I'm sure your brains are a little cooked. I know mine's a little cooked after going through all this contract stuff. And then we'll get back to finishing up the new contract between the WGA and AMPTP. About we'll talk about writers' rooms, staff writers, weekly pay, as well as some other information. Let's do it now. Before we continue, the very best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to share us with your friends and family members who love movies and TV. If they're curious about the writer's strike in the WJ and what the new contract means and all the details, please send them this episode. And also, leaving those five-star ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts is an incredible way to help support our show. It gets us seen by new viewers on those platforms as well as we love to read the written reviews that people leave on Apple. I'll be reading one out in a moment. And also become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. It is a, it is a subscription-based form of support. We did not sign a new contract with AMPTP, but we have <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> we have five different tiers of membership. Every single tier gets two weekly bonus episodes of Raiders of the Lost Podcast exclusively on Patreon, as well as our private Patreon playlist on Spotify, which you can connect both those apps to and listen to those Patreon episodes on Spotify, we have $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100. All of these tiers come with incredible perks. The better you go up, the, the they get better, the higher you go up the tier. Obviously, Patreon allows us to go to do the show full-time. Thank you so much for your support around the world. And again, become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. There's a link in the description of this episode. This episode, of course, is sponsored by our friends at movieposters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Be sure to use our promo code RAIDERS10 at MoviePosters.com to get 10% off your order right now. They have a huge selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their poster library, as well as all sorts of sizes, framing, and even backlighting for your poster needs. They have a huge selection from all of your favorite franchises, classic films, horror films, and even indies. We have a bunch of these posters all over our set and home, and we love them. They're high quality, and they look amazing. Movie posters make a great gift for the movie lover in your life, or even a great way to deck out your place, showcasing your love and passion for cinema. Be sure to use our promo code at Raiders, <laughs> our promo code at MoviePosters.com, Raiders10, to get 10% off your order right now. Let's hit into our intermission, Anthony. You ready? Let's. And there's no movie to talk about, so we're not going to do the, uh, the, what's the superlatives. 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 Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll start with the movie quote competition. Uh, this is two characters speaking. You ready? Ready. You filmed him dying. That's my job. That's what I do. I like to think that if you're seeing me, you're having the worst day of your life. <laughs> Nightcrawler. Yep. <laughs> I love Lou Bloom. I feel like grabbing you by the ears and screaming in your face, I'm not fucking interested! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's a good one. Alright, here's mine. They just fuck you, and they fuck you, and they fuck you. And then when you think it's all over, that's when the real fucking starts. <laughs> what is this? Oh, man. I'm blanking. Sean Penn in The Game. Yeah. That's an awesome Fincher movie. Oh, yeah. If you've never seen The Game, everybody, watch that ASAP. It's one of his most underrated movies. Anthony, guess this movie release year. Fargo. 
Fargo came out in. Hmm. What year did it come out? Going 1992. 96. Damn it. 96. Damn. What year? Did Panic Room come out? Panic Room came out in 2001. 2002. Damn. Close, but no cigar. No cigar at all. What does that even mean, close, but no cigar? It's just an idiom. Yeah, it's just just, a weird idiom. I mean, every language has weird idioms that make no sense. That's why sometimes languages are so hard to learn when you're like trying to understand (laughs) idioms that people say all the time. Yeah, it's an odd idiom. Let me me see. Where did close, Close, but no cigar come from? Close, but no cigar. no oh, it's because it's like a victory cigar. Like you didn't win. Yeah. So you're not getting the victory cigar. You attempted but failed. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's it's gotta be it. But it's just interesting that we just say that all the time. Like kids will say, it. yeah, close but no cigar, or not anymore. Yeah. Because I think in like the 70s and 80s, it was popular. Like you, you imagine like uh, like Larry Bird smoking a cigar when he won the championship, and MJ did. Well, went, smoking was just so popular. Yeah. Like smoking Before, cigars was like a championship winner thing to do. We're not just yeah. It was just it's like, gotta be that. It's just a common thing. Oh no, I'm saying, but for winning something, True. it was common. Close, to, like, but a no cigar. cigar. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Victory cigar. You didn't win. No cigar yeah. for you. That's gotta be it. We figured it out. Yeah, we got it. I think that's it. <laughs> Seems right. <laughs> Wasn't didn't end up being that complicated. Moving on <laughs> to actually makes it obvious now. Movie pop quiz time. You ready? Ready. Which director or directors has cinematographer Roger Deakins worked with the most? Coen Brothers. Yeah. 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 So he's actually made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten movies with the Damn it, I was so close. He's made. So these are the movies that Deakins has made with the Coen Brothers. And I believe one of them was just Joel because I think only Joel made Hudsucker Proxy. So Well, no, he's just the credited director. But Ethan, that's how they first were being credited. A Serious Man, Barton Fink, No Country for Old Men. Who Wasn't There, True Grit, Hail Caesar, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Fargo, Hudsucker Proxy, The Lady Killers. So, 10 movies that Roger Deakins has shot for the Coen Brothers. Yeah, um, ironically, uh, Raising Arizona is a really visually stunning movie they made that he didn't shoot. Mm-hmm. And then they started working together after that. What was the first movie they did? Was it uh, Oh Brother, Oh Brother, Where Art The pair or the trio? No, Fargo. Right, the first collaboration with Deacons. Yeah, Fargo, um, or Hudsucker no, Proxy. Uh, no, Hudsucker Proxy was yeah ninety two. No, ninety four. Hudsucker Proxy was ninety four. So maybe Hudsucker or the Raising Lady Arizona Killers. was eighty seven. So it was after Raising Arizona. I think I think that was eighty seven. The Lady Killers. When were we the Lady Killers was with Tom Hanks. That's that was in two thousand four. Yeah. It could be Fargo. I mean, I. I mean, I couldn't tell you. No, because Hudsucker Proxy was 94. I mean, sorry. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, maybe it is Hudsucker. Maybe it is Hudsucker Proxy. Yeah. Interesting. Moving on. What's your pop quiz question? How many TV series has David Fincher produced? Hmm. House of Cards. Mindhunter. What else has he produced? What else has... Hmm... Barton Fink was the first one. Barton Fink? Barton Fink. Was that like 92? 91. 91. I'm going to guess three mo- three TV shows. Four TV shows. So Mindhunter, House of Cards. What else you got? Love, Death, and Robots oh, on Netflix. Oh, that's right. And then Voyeur, which is uh, 
documentary TV series about a lot of filmmakers and um, how they got into their love of cinema? It's a good question. Good question. Thanks, man. I put a lot of work in. You're here. welcome. Did you? All morning, I was like, "Did you? Really? What should I ask James? <laughs> what should I ask him?" <laughs> All right, uh, what do we got for Raider haters, Anthony? Any unsubscribe? We only have one. That's because we just filmed. Okay. Yeah, we filmed yesterday. Didn't yeah. We? So we filmed we... a great episode yesterday, oh, yeah. which is coming out on Wednesday. It's an episode on Blade Runner 2049. You don't want to miss it. So you posted a video about the digital camera used in the creator. And about the grain, and then Ninja commented, "So you saying you hated it? Feels like we're going to have a problem, Maestro. Unsubscribed." <laughs> <laughs> I got so much hate though in in that video because I was talking about um, how they used uh, uh-huh. a the grainy. Yeah, there's, digital there's, camera. Some, fil- there's yeah. some film grain. I mean, not grain. It's um digital Sensi- noise. Yeah, digital grain. Yeah. And I don't know. People get really upset when you make. Yeah, you gotta be one careful. Mile you gotta criti- be careful with the critic criticism. One mild on criticism. You can't criticize anything on TikTok anymore, man. <laughs> people go after you. All right, great five star review from Jay Cost, please. The best movie and TV podcast. And then they wrote in the review, "Wait, they're twins." <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the five star review on Apple. Thanks, Jay Cost. Appreciate you. Now. What's your streaming recommendation, Anthony, for this episode? I just watched El Conde on Netflix, which is Pablo Lorraine's uh, vampire film. Mm. Just got added into it's uh, Spain's, well, not Spain, uh, a Spanish-speaking country. I can't remember which one. Sorry, uh, it's their official um, Academy Award um, submission. It's really great. It's a cool black and white vampire movie about uh, a vampire who actually ended up being a world leader. Um, and like uh, very in, in, involved in politics and they actually took real world leaders and made them vampires and he's he's a real world leader it's a great metaphor yeah it's funny it's <laughs> really re- it's really interesting it's it's a funny movie and he shot it all black and white what um, year did it come out this year oh wow I have to yeah. check that out El Conde El Conde The Count yes The Count The Count uh, it's, Pablo Lorraine previously made Spencer in um, the what's her name Jackie with Natalie Portman. Oh. Great director. I like both those movies. I like Jack I think Jackie was phenomenal. Yeah. He's a great Spanish director. Cool. Alright, everyone check that out. My streaming recommendation is a horror movie because it's October, everybody. The Babadook on Hulu. You can stream this great horror film from Australia from Jennifer Kent. And that is how you pronounce it, the Babadook. Like book. Babadook. A lot, I got a lot of hate on a clip I made last year about that movie. Because they thought it was Baba Duke. Yeah, they thought. Yeah. They, did you say Duke like book? I'm like, that's how you say it. Because it's a book. The Baba Duke. Yeah, yeah. You, people just go after you on TikTok, I man. Know, for some reason. They just you, you have that kind of face, I think. The same face as yours? It's slightly Something more, about your face. I just want to just want to hit it. I just want to punch it. I just want to punch it. Is there anything I can do? No, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just just want to hit it. I, can't, I don't like it. I don't like your face. <laughs> yeah, that's how people, when they see you on TikTok. Apparently... <laughs> Apparently. Now, let's get back into the contract that the WGA just signed with the AMTP, AMPTP. Now, we just talked about everything from artificial intelligence, screenwriter pay, minimum pay, as well as HBSVOD, high-budget subscription video on demand, which is the fancy way of saying original streaming programs, basically. Now, we're going to talk about increased compensation for series employment, weekly pay, and staff writer script fees. So, we have regulation on weekly pay increases for staff writers. The minimum weekly rates for staff writers and Article 14 writers who are story editors, executive story editors, 
will increase by the overall minimum increases 5 to 4% to 3.5%. The increases for staff writers go into effect immediately so that they don't have to wait till January 1st, 2024. And those story editors and executive story editors go into effect Sunday after ratification. So that's all, that's all into effect right now. That's awesome. Writer-producer weekly rates. There will be a new writer-producer tier, a.k.a. co-producer level and above, that has a higher minimum weekly rate, amounting to... <laughs> Anthony, God bless Excuse you. Excuse me. Sorry. Amounting to a 9.5 premium percent over the story editor, executive story editor rates. That's a great increase. These rates will go into effect for new seasons that start 60 days after ratification. And then something we spoke about with Christina... Uh, member of the WGA in our episode was the problem with writers' rooms. Uh, first of all, not getting paid enough, and also not getting long enough deals to work in the writers' room. And so they've increased all of these for writers. So the development room premium, and she was explaining to us that the development room is the room before the writing room. So they develop a script for the pilot, and then if it gets um, greenlit by a studio, then they make a writers' room. So the development room premium has increased. So writers of any title working in pre-green light rooms of at least three writers, including pre-green light room between seasons of a show, will be paid premium rates up to guarantees of 19 weeks. So that's a big win. If writers are guaranteed 20 weeks or more, the premium doesn't apply. The so it, it, that's protecting people that work on shorter weeks to still get a good amount of pay. And then after that cap of 20 weeks, they're getting the regulation. The development room rates will be 25% above the highest regular room rate. These rates will go into effect for new contracts beginning November 1st, 2023, assuming ratification in October. So development room premium rates for up to 16 weeks. So it's still under 20 weeks. The staff writer will be paid $6,959. Story editors and executive story editors will be paid 12,978 and then the writer producers will be paid 14,214 and so that's as long as the development room lasts under 20 weeks and then we'll excuse me get into script writer fees and development and provisions for episodic series now development rooms these green light rooms are regular writers rooms for television and the streaming service series will have now have requirements regarding the minimum number of writers who must be hired in the duration of their employment. These new provisions go into effect for seasons where the first episode is written after December 1st, assuming ratification in October. So the development rooms, once three writers are convened before a series order, at least three writer-producers, including the showrunner, are guaranteed 10 consecutive weeks of employment. So that's really incredible news. So at least three writers and the showrunner are guaranteed 10 weeks of employment at those new higher rates. Awesome win. And the development rooms where writers are guaranteed 20 weeks of work or more are treated as post green light rooms. For these rooms on the first season shows, the minimum staff size required will be three writers plus the showrunners. For these rooms in second or subsequent seasons of a show, the required minimum of writers is determined by the anticipated episode order. And these post green light rooms Follower requirements are triggered depending on the number of episodes ordered unless a single writer is engaged to write all episodes, which sometimes happens. Sometimes there's just one writer who's writing an entire show, but most of the time there are several writers, now a minimum of three, and the showrunner writing a TV series for a season or more. That's awesome. So if a, a, a 
series will have six episodes or fewer. The number of writers in the room has to be three. Same thing for seven to 12 episodes. And then the same thing for 13 or plus episodes in a season. And now the third, now this is for development rooms. So for the seasons that will have seven to 12 episodes, they can have up to five writers. And then the 13 or more episodes per season, they can have up to six writers in the development room. Now the writer's room, the actual post green light writer's room will have around double that for the numbers. Now let's get into writers in production. For single camera series made for HBS VOD and pay TV again, the streaming originals that are exclusively filmed in the US and Canada, two writer producers must be employed for the lesser of 20 weeks of production or the duration of production along with the showrunner. The two writer positions can be used for more than two writers provided that the total weeks worked by the additional workers and writers adds up to the minimum required number for each position. Next up, there are improved options, exclusivity, and span protection. So the salary limit under which options and exclusivity protections apply will increase from 325000 to 350000 as of May 2nd, 2024. Options are when the studio is either, they have the choice to either go forward or not. Uh, span protections will be expanded to cover more writers working on short orders by increasing the cap of earnings from 400000 to 450000 Basic cable remaining at 375000 And by extending span protection to writers on limited series for contracts made 30 days after the ratification date. Next up, we have an increased funding for the showrunner training program. So Christina was telling us that when people become showrunners, they start out in writer's rooms, they start out as assistants, but then they work their way up. And then eventually, once they've been working in a room long enough, they'll start working on set and helping actually produce the show. And this is basically like a training uh, sequence for them to become eventual showrunners of shows. And they all, they've always worked from the bottom up to becoming a showrunner of a TV show. And that was a problem that's been happening recently because the studios have been cutting down the, the writing room. They've been limiting writers from actually going on set and basically preventing them from becoming showrunners because they're not getting the on-set training of helping produce a show that would make them uh, possible showrunners. So they've reached an agreement to renew $250,000 in annual funding for the showrunning training program. So that's great news for people who are working as writers who eventually want to be showrunners for television shows. Yeah, I mean – that's the goal of a lot of these writers is to run their own show and write their own show and just be a showrunner. And if they're not getting the opportunities to learn how to do that and they're just being stuck in writers' rooms year after year after year after a decade and that's all you've been doing and you're not getting that opportunities that used to be given to writers to be able to go on set and learn production, learn how to run and craft an entire series, an entire show – that's terrible, but now that opportunity is going to come back to a lot of these writers. So that's that's incredible news because, I mean, if you're a writer, that's the goal. You want to be in control of an incredible project, and you want to be have be as successful as possible. And it seems like studios have been limiting what writers can do the last several years. 100%. Huge win. Huge win. This overall was a huge win. I mean, 148 days of a strike that I feel like, People forgot about for a little while, and then SAG went on strike, and then there was that combined effort of SAG and WGA, and a lot of noise was being made. But I feel like it sort of quieted down a little bit the last month or so, but now that WGA has signed a deal, 
and it's going to be ratified, hopefully in October. I'm sure it will be, and everything's cool and everything's clear. I really hope that SAG follows suit afterwards. And then speaking of other industries, so the video game industry is experiencing possible strikes. So on Monday, September 25th, the union voted overwhelmingly to cease work for 10 major video game companies. So after five rounds of bargaining, it has become abundantly clear that the video game companies aren't willing to meaningfully engage on the critical issues, compensation, undercut by inflation, unregulated use of AI, and safety. Crabtree Ireland said of the new battle representative for the union, the video game companies facing a potential strike include Activision Productions, Blindlight, Disney Character Voices, EA Productions, Formosa Interactive, Insomniac Games, Epic Games, Take-Two Productions, Voice Work Productions, and WB Games. So, again, like we were saying earlier, strikes like the WGA strike, it trickled into other facets of entertainment. And so it looks like video games might be facing a, a great change as well for workers. And I believe this a lot applies to SAG and SAG-AFTRA with the video game companies. A lot of that's been going on as well. So it trickles in because it's all related. I mean, actors go and work on video games. Writers go and work on video games. It's part of entertainment. It's part of the industry. And, you know, new forms of distribution, this is going to happen every single time. And the, the profit of video games is monstrous. It's absurd. So their, their money's there. It's absurd. So... You know, it's great news for the WGA going into 2026. They got their deal, and hopefully there isn't another form of distribution that's released in the next 10 years that we have to <laughs> deal with another strike, and they have to deal with another strike. People who have been out of work for, for months now, and SAG's been out of work for a month and a half, two months now. So I really hope that SAG can make that deal because everyone loves movies. Everyone loves TV. That's why these people are in this industry and that's why they're making movies. That's why they're making TV. It's their dream. It's their life goal. And they want to be able to make a living doing it and pay their rent. And they want to be able to put food on the table and put their kids through school and put their kids through college. And they, they deserve that right to be able to work in an industry like this. If, if that's their, their goal and they're good enough to do it. And I hope, I hope that SAG strikes a deal. Yeah, I agree. And this is a great win. And so dub sag is starting to negotiate today so we'll see how long that takes it took wj about a week five days five days yeah so maybe it'll happen that quickly for sag too we'll see because apparently uh some of the biggest studio heads were in those meetings this last week you know uh, uh Iger was there he was there meeting with them so hopefully sag gets it worked out soon because they deserve to get paid. They all do. They get, deserve get to get that paid. money. We gotta get paid. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta pay the rent. It's, it's, it's all about expensive man. out here, it's, man. It's about being fair too. If the profits are being taken mostly by just a few, it's not fair. And it's, it's not just the, the compensation. It's also about protections from yeah. new technologies yeah. and new distribution methods. Like you said, they weren't getting paid based off ads on streaming platforms if you weren't signed up for ad free. Like they're running ads and commercials on your show, and you're yeah. not getting paid for that. Yeah, it's wild, man. It's, it's wild. insane. Insane. If YouTube did that to us, we'd be like. Yeah, that's some, why I like some explaining to do YouTube. Like Spotify had a similar situation years ago, but now they're very transparent. Um, you can see the numbers as a user. Um, so these something Spotify went through this before streaming was big, where people were not getting paid enough, and so they've changed their platform com really heavily to be as transparent as possible for both uh, users and creators. That's a good point. I, I believe Spotify pays musicians and podcasters and creators more than any other yes, hosting more than, site. Yeah. Yeah. They, pay, they pay out more than any other platform. Yeah. So Spotify has become like, kind of like uh, a company that other streamers should emulate with how they handle it. 
they got the money. That's the thing. They oh, yeah. got the money. They're making they're money. like they yeah. don't have the money. Like it, it'd be the equivalent of like tossing a ten dollar bill. Well, the thing. What's what's the crazy thing is that there are several well-known production companies and distributors that have passed the MPT demands. They passed them months ago. Eight twenty-four. Yeah, productions are going on. Yeah, so there are several smaller companies that have still continue production because they met the demands of WJ and SAG. And if these small companies can, why can't these mega corps do it? Yeah, exactly. That's wild. <laughs> if A24 and Blumhouse can do it, why yeah. can't Warner Brothers exactly, yeah. and Amazon? But looks like it's happening. And I have really high hopes and I'm very optimistic about the next week with, or this week coming up with SAG oh, yeah. in their negotiations. I, I'm the most optimistic I've been about it since obviously it's all happened. I mean, we thought it was going to be 2024. I thought it was too. Two weeks ago, I thought, I mean, it's going to be last t- till I next didn't, year. I didn't think WJ would sign this year. I thought it was going to go all the way until like post-spring next year. Yeah. I think it showed that when there's a negotiation like this, both parties, they hold their, they stand their ground because they want to win. And it seemed like WJ were like, nope, we got to stand our ground. And then the studios were like, they tried to last them out, but then they're like, nope, we need to sign. We need to get back to the to the room. But I also think that something that you brought up a couple of weeks ago where out of nowhere all the subscription services just bumped up their prices like two, three dollars a pop. It's like an excuse. They're making they're yeah. making up for what they're losing right now. Yeah, exactly. So it was kind of like an excuse to raise yeah. their prices, it seems yeah. like. So so it seems like oh, where you have to pay writers and actors more, let's just bump up our subscriptions. It's not like they knew it wasn't coming. Yeah. It's not like they knew it wasn't gonna happen. They, they sold out as long as they can. And they they got what they wanted. They got an increase in the cost of subscription services, and it kind of just casually happened. So the execs are still probably getting paid the same amount. <laughs> yeah, they definitely are. They're all gonna get paid. They're not, they're not gonna lose <laughs> any money. That's that's the thing. They were. Wait, you want me to not get fifty million dollars this whoa, year? Whoa, 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 whoa! Do you know how much insurance costs on three mansions and four Bugattis? <laughs> Come on, man. My McLaren is. I would really want that yacht this year. <laughs> the one I have is not big enough. I want the 80-footer. <laughs> I bought a yacht for my daughter who doesn't talk to me, okay? I, I really want to get that for her. She wants the Lamborghini. I accidentally got her Ferrari, so help me out here, man. Help me out. <laughs> want a Ferrari cake. <laughs> that episode of South Park. South Park. Yeah. <laughs> Satan's birthday. Where he gets make him make it for my he has a sweet sixteen. Yeah, it's, it's well yeah, it's Satan's sweet sixteen yeah. and they get him uh an Acura cake. Yeah. <laughs> It's an accurate cake. That's it's right. never Ferrari cake. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. I asked for a Ferrari cake. <laughs> that was a good episode. My Sweet 16 was a big show on MTV at the time. They, yeah, man, they, it was. They destroyed it. Well, this is also important because people were worried that we were just going to get a massive influx of reality TV. Not that there isn't a place for reality TV. A lot of people enjoy it. But we were going to get even more of it because the reality TV. Without writers. Reality yeah. TV boomed in the 2008, 2009 when there were no they couldn't write, so like, hey, let's just film a bunch of crazy stuff and we'll, we'll get some reality shows going. They don't have to write scripts. Yeah. So they were just, that's how reality shows boomed back then. And oh, yeah. people thought that there was going to be another, even though there is a. Oh, see, there's been a bigger there's, boom there's, than there's, ever. There's quite the boom. There are a ton you of reality see there's now shows. Now a, a bachelor of just like an old guy's The Bachelor. It's just like. Old Bachelor? It's called The, gold, the Golden Bachelor. <laughs> yeah. So it's like everyone's in like their 50s, it looks like. That's, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, why not? Why not? Why the audience is yeah. there? Yeah, old people can find love too. <laughs> <laughs> not that people in their fifties are old. It'd be funny if they did like a, a batch, old Bachelor in Paradise, like the wild one, where they're all partying and shit. It's just old people. 
<laughs> like how old? Like in a retirement home? Yeah, a retirement home bachelor would be funny. <laughs> would it really though? <laughs> that would be really funny. That would be a hit show. <laughs> that would be hilarious. I don't know, man. Would... <laughs> like the bachelor is this guy named Ken. He's got like a Korean War hat. Like veteran hat, and he's he's like the bachelor. <laughs> every every retirement home has that guy, like the Korean War vet hat. Yeah, he's just seen so much. <laughs> he's he's, he's seen, part of the war that nobody remembers. Yeah, everyone forgot that war. Like, oh, there was a Korean War. Yeah, <laughs> there's a guy on our street. He's a Korean War vet. Oh, is he really? Yeah, he's he's in a wheelchair, but he lives two blocks down. Which house? Oh, it's, two blocks down. Yeah, two blocks down. There's a ramp up his up his oh, side. Oh, I've seen that yeah. house. I've seen yeah. that house. I see him rolling around sometimes. Yeah, he's always got his hat. One of the most forgotten wars. Yeah. But um, yeah. anyways, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, let's wrap up this episode on the WGA. We don't want to talk about communism. <laughs> the WGA <laughs> contract and how it went. We appreciate you tuning in. If you made it this long, we understand that it was a bit wordy, but we. It's, it was different. I mean, it's nice to inform everyone as. The, as to the specifics of the negotiations. Yeah, we wanted to give everyone an update so that you all understand. You you all know of the WGA strike and the SAG strike. And we'll do the same thing when SAG, hopefully they sign, we'll, do, we'll explain their contract. But now everyone knows kind of like a little background on writers and what they make for shows, especially now in the streaming era, what writers' rooms look like. Obviously, if you haven't, we did a great interview with um, a WGA captain back in, was it May or June? It was um, within like two weeks of the strike. Yeah, Christina yeah. was a great guest yeah. to have on. So check that out. Uh, it's easy to search for. We'll, we'll put it at like the end of this video on YouTube and everything. But oh, yeah. we got a lot of information about what they were striking for since she's a captain and so knowledgeable. But now it's over and I'm really happy for them. It's awesome. It's really great. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Again, leave those five-star ratings on Apple and Spotify. Share us with your family and friends, as well as become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Take care, everyone. See you next time. This episode was executive produced by our chosen one patrons, Cody Moen, Andrew Hagen, Becca Keen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy-Griggs, Nicholas Martin, Darian Singleton, Tyler McFly, Andrew Hagen, our Chosen One patrons, are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.